why is it that a woman always thinks that the most savage thing she can say to a man is to impugn his coxmanship? Well, I'm sorry I impugned your coxmanship. I gave up comparing genitals back in the schoolyard. You're being docile as hell about this. Oh, hell, Diana, I knew it was over with us weeks ago. Will you go back to your wife? I'll give it a try, but I don't think she'll jump at it. But don't worry about me. I'll manage you. I always have. I always will. I'm more concerned about you. And you're not the boozer type. So I figure a year, maybe two, before you crack up or jump out of your 14th floor office window. Stop selling, Max. I don't need you. I don't want your pain. I don't want your menopausal decay and death. I don't need you, Max. You now get need out of me. You need me badly. Because I'm your last contact with human reality. I love you. And that painful, decaying love is the only thing between you and the shrieking nothingness you live the rest of the day. Then don't leave me. It's too late, Diana. There's nothing left in you that I can live with. You're one of Howard's humanoids. And if I stay with you, I'll be destroyed. Like Howard Beale was destroyed. Like Lorraine Hobbs was destroyed. Like everything that you and the institution of television touch is destroyed. You're television incarnate, Diana. Indifferent to suffering. Insensitive to joy. All of life is reduced to the common rubble of banality. War, murder, death. All the same to you as bottles of beer. And the daily business of life is a corrupt comedy. You even shatter the sensations of time and space into split seconds and instant replays. Your madness, Diana. Virulent madness. And everything you touch dies with you. But not me. Not as long as I can feel pleasure and pain. And it's a happy ending. Wayward husband comes to his senses. Returns to his wife, with whom he's established a long and sustaining love. Heartless young woman, left alone in her arctic desolation. Music up with a swell. Final commercial. And here are a few scenes from next week's show. Radio Drome. It's 1976 in Radio Drome. As we're going through the years, I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil the Robot. Did we do 1985 already? We're going in order, dumbass. <laughs> Chronological. We're not jumping around because I can't wait to get to 1982 myself. So I count good. Peter has no internet, so he assures me he will be back next week when his internet is actually up. I got my... My favorite surrogate for our Canadian Serbian, Frederick Fritz, is sitting in to talk about 1976 with us tonight. Blast from the past, literally and figuratively. Oh, come on. You were just on, like, what, three, four episodes ago? Oh, I meant I'm getting old. Yeah, you're older than me. Mm -hmm. That says something. You go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, and you will get ten free gifts on top of whatever you order. You'll get six free DVDs, a free mystery gift, gift for him, a gift for her, and free non-Canada, a.k.a. U.S. shipping. Use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now, as we're going through the years, last last week Cecil and I talked about 1975 and what a transcendent year it was and how it kind of started to change Hollywood. Well, 1976 is starting to, you were starting to feel those changes now. When you think of 1976 in film, what's the one or two that jump out at you? I'm going to go with big ones again, uh, Rocky and The Omen. Uh, well, for me, uh, if we're talking what I saw, I was six years old at the time. And so uh, the two that jump out at me uh, from being a child was Rocky, of course, everybody was air punching, walking out of the theater, and uh, the outlaw Josie Wales. So you're going with Stallone and Eastwood. 
Well, I, again, from my childhood, now I would say uh, those two titles still, but I would also have to add Taxi Driver, which I saw much later on video. And see, to me, I was a year old at this point, but when I look back at 1976, there were two films that I think changed film for me looking back at it, and that would be Network and John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13. Because those two films were so unlike anything that had come before it. I find those films to be, I used the word earlier, transcendent. These were films that really pushed the art of film forward. That's not to say, you know, The Man Who Fell From Earth or Taxi Driver or anything didn't also make their impact. But personally, it's Network and Assault on Precinct 13 for me. As we go into 1976, since this show really is all about, you know, the cult films and exploitation, let's look at some of the exploitation films. Assault on Precinct 13. I didn't see this in 1976, obviously. Do you think Assault on Precinct 13 in 76 was appreciated the way it would be later? Uh, I'd have to say no, because it seems like all of Carpenter's films weren't at the time. It, it seems like he's someone that's grown. Uh, if you even compare, well, it, 76 has a lot of very violent movies. So oddly enough, it fits in very well. If you if you look at these films back to back, there's a lot of bullets flying in 76. But uh, stylistically, it's both a throwback as well as obviously something that, as you said, it does change cinema, at least for Carpenter, it did. Uh, I'd say at the time, though, no. Yeah, I'm with Fred. I think that uh, Carpenter's films, unfortunately, had the bad habit of coming out and just not really capturing the audience at the time. And then years later became these massive cult hits that people just adored. So uh, I think that Assault from Precinct 13, people just didn't know what to think of it until way later when it got when uh, they were rediscovered. You mentioned Rocky and The Omen. Fred mentioned Rocky and Outlaw Josie Wales. Where do you think those films fit into the 1976 perspective of 1976? To me, I think The Omen is a very typical 70s film. Rocky is a is a transformative film, even though I'm not a personal fan of it. And Outlaw Josie Wales, to me, really showcased how, I mean, yes, you know, the spaghetti western, I've never been comfortable with that term, but how the spaghetti western was really making an impact in America. Why were they so perfect for 76? I'll go against what you said on one level, that were they transformative? Actually, I think that the films of 76 in general, a lot of them represent an era that's about to go away. They were uh, more personal films. Rocky is a good example. Now, of course, yes, we get sequels. But this type of film begins to disappear after that. Uh, the Western died out not long after uh, Outlaw Josie Wales either. Do you think Outlaw Josie Wales, even though it's an American film, I called it a spaghetti western because it really is. It really is Eastwood taking his Sergio Leone experience to America, isn't it? I mean, it's really a spaghetti western American version, isn't it? I, I would say yes, uh, filtered through an American actor come director. So yes, I would say it's definitely, it has a lot of things we would recognize as part of Eastwood's style over time, but yes, definitely. Well, uh, I'd like to say you, you asked about why these two, two picks. I mean, if we're talking about overall films, these films are part of a filmography I love. Rocky's a movie, I would say, more from my past, not so much my present. I don't even own Rocky on DVD or Blu-ray. I would say that it's interesting to note that these films were PG, and this was an era when you could have harder-edge PGs. You know, Josie Wales especially would be R today. I don't even think it would be PG-13. I think it would be R. This era represented a whole other line of thinking. A kid, a six-year-old kid could go see these movies, okay? You know, Logan's Run was also PG. It had nudity and violence, and you know, it was a, it's a very disturbing movie on, on many levels. And it was a different era, I think, just for that. Later, of course, you know, as Cecil well knows, he did a video on this, there would be the rise of PG-13, and you could get away with a lot in PG-13, in the 80s more than you could do today but in the 70s pg was not nearly as restrictive and so perhaps that's one of the reasons these films stick out to me they're both very emotional emotional personal journeys and they're very violent i mean if you go back to watch rocky again i wouldn't say it's violent in the sense of just on-screen blood but 
you know, he's he's a lower street hood, basically. He's a thug. He's a money collector. And these are the type of characters that would basically go away. The anti-heroes, really. I mean, Rocky kind of is an anti-hero, if you think about it. The Omen, because it was such a creepy, weird movie. Uh, I saw it when I was pretty young. And uh, it it just struck me as so odd because with a lot of horror films, you have the giant hulking Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers or the big killers. And here you have this little kid and he's not outright killing anybody, but he is indirectly responsible for the things that are going on around him. The, you know, all for you, Damien, and people are killing themselves. And uh, he kills his mother, kind of, Uh, you know, he's a little bit more responsible for that than he is for uh, some of the other deaths in the film. But it just was so bizarre because it was making the child this, you know, the spawn of the devil and evil and weird. And because he wasn't like he wasn't like coming out and uh, like like a Chucky or something like a little killer doll kid. He was just a very awkward, weird kid that uh, it played perfectly. And it just it was very unusual. And I had never seen anything like that before. See, personally, I've never been a fan of the Omen movies, but I think the first Omen is the weakest of the four. I'm not counting the crappy remake. Uh, so you shouldn't. We'll do an Omen retrospective at some point. Same thing with we're not going to do an, a Rocky retrospective. I keep getting asked, do the Rocky, do the Rocky franchise, do the Rocky franchise. Now, I have not seen Rocky Balboa or Creed, but of the original five, I didn't like a single one of them. There wasn't so, five movies. There was only four. There was five, whether you want to <laughs> no, remember the, it or not. <laughs> five, five, five never happened. <laughs> but no, I've never been a fan of the Rocky movies, so we're probably not going to do a retrospective on them. I can't deny that in 1976, Rocky was the king. I mean, it, it was the number one box office. We'll talk about box office near the end of the show, but it beat everything. All the Oscar nominations, all the wins, all of the imitations. Like like you said earlier, Fred, people air punching, you know, out of the theater and all that. So Rocky, Rocky was I would say arguably Rocky was the Jaws of 1976 because you had Jaws that was the hands down winner of 1975. 1976, I got to give it to Rocky. There's no other choice there. The Omen is a movie I also really like. I actually it's obviously kind of riding on the the success of The Exorcist, trying to cash in on that a little bit. But I can honestly say I think The Omen's a far better movie than The Exorcist, in my personal opinion. So I also very much like it. Well, uh, I I would say that there's one word that works for most great movies, and that's relatability. Rocky isn't just an everyman. He represents how we've all felt. We've all been down on our luck. We've all suffered in some way. Even the most prosperous people have gone through a period of their life where they were not prosperous. So I think Rocky appeals to that because he doesn't even win the fight at the end. It's the fact that he fights. It's the fact that he puts everything into it and he doesn't stop and he never quits. And I think that's the element that everyone relates to even to this day. Being from Philadelphia, it's actually illegal to not like Rocky. So I'm required (laughs) by law to like Rocky. Rocky uh, just was an amazing movie. Uh, it, it It's really one of those movies that almost wouldn't happen today because Stallone like put it all. He's like, look, I need to be the actor in this. Like they originally did not want him to be the actor. You know, they wanted uh, I, I don't know who if they had anybody else like planned, but he was like, look, I wrote this movie. I get to play Rocky. And now I have a feeling that if uh, some writer tried to pull that, they wouldn't go for it. They would uh, they would either just turn the film down or they would eventually talk him out of it or something. And it's, uh, I mean, it was the movie that made his career. And I can't think of anybody else who could have possibly done the role. He, he did it so amazingly. He was in Roger Corman movies like Death Race 2000 just the year before. Going from Death Race 2000 to Rocky is kind of a large leap that it's it's almost unbelievable. Again, but but I mean, 
Leonardo DiCaprio was in Critters 3. You know, it doesn't it doesn't mean, you know, I mean, he didn't jump directly from that to that. I mean, but, you know, things move a little bit faster now. Back then, uh, it just he was doing that. And I think that uh, it was it was a tough sell for sure. But he did. And he, you know, made his career. It would have I'm sure he probably would have regretted it for the rest of his life if he didn't uh, (laughs) fight for it like Rocky and actually get the role. It's got so many iconic scenes in it, too. I mean, that's a, one of the reasons why it's uh, been able to hold up over the years. You know, it's the the classic underdog tale. Uh, it's got the, you know, him running through the streets of Philadelphia, even though the, the route that he takes is not even remotely the correct way to get to the art museum. But uh, but ah, the audience doesn't know that. I have ran up the stairs at the uh, museum and uh, I can usually make it, but uh, it's such an amazing classic movie and uh, I I love it dearly. It's uh, everything about it. uh, The writing is great. The directing is great. The acting is great. The whole story, um, like Fred said, it, it, he's the underdog, but he doesn't win. What, what movie does that? You know, there's always the underdog, you know, he comes out victorious at the end. It just, but it's still an amazing movie because of that. It's even better because of that. I also want to point out, though, isn't it kind of funny he went from Roger Corman to Lloyd Kaufman, since a lot of people forget Lloyd Kaufman produced Rocky? Well, that was also pre-trauma, though. I I know, but I'm just saying, isn't it kind of funny he went from Corman to Kaufman? Jaws ushered in the whole blockbuster thing, and then, of course, you know, Star Wars a year later would absolutely solidify it. The studios doing their versions. You had Logan's Run, which... (sighs) Logan's Run is weird for me. I enjoy the movie, but man... After seeing what Star Wars did and how that changed cinema a year later, Logan's run feels so cheap and kind of goofy when it shouldn't. Because it's a pretty serious story, and Jenny Gutter is so freaking gorgeous in the movie, that Logan's run was supposed to be the next Jaws. That that was how it was kind of sold, that, you know, this sci-fi stuff is really hot with the kids, which, of course, a year later they would find out just how hot that was. I don't know, Logan's Run, just as a movie, it comes across as kind of goofy. Maybe I've been spoiled. Well, I actually like Logan's Run. It's uh, I've read the book and enjoy the movie. And I do agree that it's so dated. It's funny, it, in one year, that, that doesn't happen very often, but in one year the film became completely obsolete and dated, and that's because the actual techniques used to create special effects were revolutionized. They weren't so much changed because Moonraker, which came after Star Wars, actually utilized older techniques because they couldn't afford ILM. Older techniques to kind of mimic that Star Wars success. But yeah, Logan's run is definitely what I was just saying about this is the sort of the last run of old Hollywood in many respects. And in special effects, there's no doubt that that was about to change and change big. It's, it's I think most movies prior to that uh, for well heck damnation alley came out the same year look how terrible that looks worse than logan's run but then you know you got this whole blockbuster mentality coming post jaws there were a few other blockbusters that came out this same year that really didn't work like future world westworld was a big underground hit so we got to get a sequel out future world is not very good you know, I, I've seen um, I've seen Westworld plenty of times. It's been a long time since I've seen Future World, so I can't really even say. I think it didn't work because it's not a it's not a good script. Uh, it's a neat idea. Uh, I think Future World would make a, a an interesting remake. I, I can't. I think they're doing it too as a TV series or something. But I just think it's not a very good movie. Uh, word of mouth. I, that's it. I, I really can't add much more than that. I just don't think it's a very good movie. That's it. That's fair. And then the other big blockbuster that was supposed to work was Dino De Laurentiis, his 1976 King Kong with Jeff Bridges, Jessica Lange, and Charles Grode. Now, in all honesty, I enjoy the hell out of the 76 King Kong, but the critic in me says, yeah, this is a really bad movie. I'm not going to lay all the blame on the movie. Part of it is the edit. When I saw the 1978 ABC TV version that added an hour and 20 minutes of footage back into the film and was nearly three hours long, a lot of my plot problems went away. They were dealt with in the movie. They were just all cut out of the film. I blame the theatrical cut for sucking, whereas the TV cut I enjoyed quite a bit because it works way better as a movie. 
when monkey die, audience cry. There's a lot of movies like that. I mean, I just did uh, Waterworld where I talked about how uh, the studio cut, uh, what, 45 minutes out of the movie. And uh, then when they aired it on television, they aired it in the censored version. They cut out the nudity and they uh, had the, you know, the alternate cut for language. But they added back in the 45 minutes that was removed from the movie. And the people that saw that cut yeah, were like, what I, the I, hell? I watched that. I watched that on ABC the night it aired. And I'm like, this is a way better movie. Yeah. Hey, all those plot uh, problems I had and all that stuff, they are no longer existent, you know, because they went and they got rid of all that pesky character development and all that uh, backstory and history and whatnot. And uh, so that was one of the big issues that people had with the film was that there were a lot of things that didn't make sense that were completely explained in the uh, in the full cut. The TV edit, the three hour long TV version of King Kong 76 has never been put out on home video. The Laserdisc, the VHS, the DVD, and the Blu-ray are all the theatrical cut, which is a complete mess. You have to see the original, the 1978 ABC version was the only time that was ever, all that footage was ever shown. So you have to find bootlegs of King Kong 76 to find the real version. That's so sad. The few people that actually uh, recorded it off of telegarden back in my dad 70, I, I have that on I tape my, say, my dad recorded it 76 you didn't have a lot of people no, with vhs 78 players was the TV oh 70 oh well what yeah 78 you didn't have a lot of people with uh, vhs players yet so it still was uh, i can imagine that's pretty rare I just remember uh, it's it's one of those movies that will always be tied now to the world trade center because instead of him climbing the empire state building in 76 he climbed the world trade center and then, of course, you know, we all know what happened in 2001. So that it's kind of it's one of those movies that you watch it now and it has a different feel because of that, because it's like, oh, you know, as the movie that it is, uh, I think it's fine. I'm not really big on the King Kong movies. I personally I understand them, but like I've always been more of a Godzilla guy. I always liked Ape. The of course um, you did. <laughs> Well, look, it's kind of my thing. Surprised you didn't say schlock. He gives the he gives a middle finger to to, the, to like the the uh, to I think it's like tanks or something. It's hilarious. I had mentioned earlier the anti-hero. I think this is a little easier to understand why King Kong didn't work. Uh, as I said, '76 is kind of the year of the anti-hero. Uh, uh, taxi driver, you know, Logan in Logan's run, he's not a hero. Bad News Bears, uh, The Omen. There's there's a lot of movies, Outlaw Josie Wales. These are all non-heroes. I think that if you look, we were still in a dark place cinematically. Uh, some people really don't understand how much Star Wars changed the scape of people's emotions, I think. I hate to word it this way, but I guess it put people in a happy place. <laughs> and that dark edge of the 70s was gone. With King Kong... I think what happened is is it it just came at the wrong time. People didn't want to see this throwback to a, another era of 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 cinema. I don't think they cared. I think that's really what it comes down to. Uh, the movie's not very good, as you pointed out. It, it's not a good movie. It's an entertaining movie, and I think we can look at it today and sort of enjoy it for what it is. I don't think it stood a chance in 76 against all those other films. Well, and then we also had sequels again in 1976. At this point, we're still not really numbering sequels so much, but we did a whole episode on the Dirty Harry franchise. We have the third Dirty Harry movie, The Enforcer, coming out this year. We mm -hmm. also have Pink Panther Strikes Again with, with Peter Sellers. So even sequels are still kind of starting to ramp up here. And then you had the the sequel that nobody remembers is a sequel, Burt Reynolds and the awesome Gator, which as much as I liked White Lightning, I love Gator. I think it's funny that we that they were making sequels at this point, but people forget a lot of these movies are sequels. Well, first, I'll just like to say that uh, this is my favorite Pink Panther movie, uh, without a doubt. I, I love this film. It is it, it's very silly. It's just so much fun. It's over the top. Blake Edwards just threw out the restrictions, and it's without a doubt, to this day, it's my favorite of the Pink Panther movies, so I absolutely love it. I, I don't think it even ever, I don't think any of the follow-ups ever even came close to touching it or the previous films for me. This was the final great Pink Panther movie. 
uh, we already did go over Dirty Harry, but Enforcer is where the sheen begins to wear off for me a little bit. Uh, I am a huge fan of the original Dirty Harry. I I think it's one of the greatest police thrillers ever made. I think the second film is it's like half a great movie that they just didn't finish the script on. That's my opinion. You have to go back and listen to our podcast on that one. But uh, how do I want to say again? It's just not as strong. The enforcer just isn't as strong. Uh, I love Tyne Daly. I love many of the elements in it, but the villains, which I think in the first two films really defined Harry this time is the weakest. Uh, he's not defined by them at all. They're not good. And so this is where I think the also Harry becomes the comedy, the parody we would begin to see. You know, he takes a car. There's there's hostages being held in a store. He takes a car and drives it through the front of the store. This is the first movie where the reckless, dirty Harry would come into play. And that's why I hate it. It's the Harry Callahan of the the earlier films would not have done that. That endangers the the, the hostages too much. And now he's becoming a joke, a character of himself. Gator, I love Gator. Gator is, again, that weird PG movie that is ridiculously violent. It's just... Gator uh, McCluskey is the anti-hero of 76. Come on. Uh, he's great. Uh, and, uh, man, I hate to glorify <laughs> the killing of anyone, but I have to say, the way he takes out Jerry Reed at the end of that movie, I have never forgotten it. I won't say, because I may have just spoiled that the good guy kills the bad guy, uh, but uh, let me just say, you will never forget how he kills Jerry Reed. Uh, I've only ever seen The Enforcer. I think I've seen um, the, the one Pink Panther, but uh, I don't remember it enough to really talk about it. Like the, with the Enforcer, with the Dirty Harry movies, uh, I know the first one very well, and then I know uh, the Deadpool very. Or, uh, so I know was it Enforcer was two, and so, Enfor- Enforcer is three, and the De- Deadpool is five, and then uh, sudden, sudden Impact, Sudden Impact, Sudden is Impact. Four. Was, I know one, four, and five very well, but uh, I don't know two and three well. I, I've always had a big, uh, kick for uh, Dirty Harry because I remember. One night I was up later than I should have been, and uh, my my dad was watching TV, and it was I think it was like the Million Dollar Movie on like ABC or something. And my dad was like, "Hey, you know, because it was the it was the TV edit, so he's hey, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna let you watch uh, a little guy a little something called Dirty Harry." And I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "This is so cool! It's a cop that shoots people." Kind of kind of twisted my head a little bit. So I take it, Cecil, you've never seen either of the Gator McCluskey films. No, I th- that to me sounds like it's not Burt Reynolds. It was Burt, Burt Reynolds as Gator McCluskey in White Lightning and then the aptly named Gator. Oh, OK, so it is Burt. Burt. All right. So, yeah, I, I have heard of them, but no, I've never seen them. You know, the only uh, I, the the Burt Reynolds movies I've seen were like Six Pack and uh, Hooper and uh, those ones. But for whatever reason, I've never seen uh, the Gator movies. I highly recommend them. They're they're not enough to do a full retrospective on, but I might want to do a, a, a nice look at the two Gator movies because I love both of those. Oh, uh, then, were we were we ever going to do something on Smokey and the Bandit? We are, but there's seven film se- seven films in that franchise, and I don't have the time right now. Well, we could just probably do the one. <laughs> the the maybe, only one that matters. Part, yeah, I'm gonna punch your mama in the mouth. It yeah. is a wonderful, just incredibly quotable, just hysterically funny movie. I, 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 I like one and two, three. We've never seen the real version of. And then there's the four TV movies that no <sighs> one remembers. All right. Well, probably for good reason. <laughs> Back in 76, we also had the exploitation genre running full gamut. And there were some great exploitation films out that year. I already mentioned Assault on Precinct 13, but you also had amazing movies like God Told Me To, I think is a fantastically overlooked film. You have stuff like Grizzly, Jackson County Jail, The Astral Factor, which is which is a, a amazing pseudoscience hooey movie. But then you also have what what I consider one of the best exploitation films nobody's ever heard of, Mako: The Jaws of Death, with with Richard Jekyll, which is a fantastic shark exploitation movie. I cannot figure out how they safely filmed. There's no way you could make Mako: The Jaws of Death the same way today. Clearly, real sharks in the same scene as Richard Jekyll biting on him. I mean, you know, it's kind of like how they could never make the shark versus zombie scene in Fulci Zombie again. You could not make Mako the Jaws of Death again. You, you could not do it that way. 
apologize, I've never seen it, but you left one very big one out that I love. Which was? From Hollywood Boulevard. Hollywood Boulevard yeah, with Joe Dante and Alan Arkish, his yep. first film. His Hollywood first Boulevard's film, yeah. a fantastic movie. I love that movie. It is, it's so bad and so wrong. But the first time I saw it was at the video store I worked at. It was late night. Nobody was coming in. We put it on the monitors, and I, I laughed hysterically the entire movie. What, what about some of the other exploitation films, like The Astral Factor, God Told Me To, Embryo, Mako, The Jaws of Death, or even stuff like uh, The Swiss Conspiracy, or, yeah, I'll say it, Salon Kitty? Of that group, the only one I saw was God Told Me To, because I'm a big uh, Larry Cohen fan. Uh, and it's not my favorite. <laughs> I, I, I think it's a really original film that just Cohen didn't quite have the budget to make work the way I, I think it should have. I'd agree with that. I, I would say it's a it's an unrealized movie because the writing is very sharp in it. Uh, it's not the writing I, I disparage. I just as a, as a film, I thought the third act was its weakest. In general, uh, a lot of fun as always uh, with exploitation. I just uh, I enjoy how um, the low budgetness of them kind of helps them get away with certain things. Uh, I haven't seen a bunch of the ones that you mentioned, but uh, I should track them down. Well, one I'm sure you have seen was we were already starting Jaws exploitation, and I'm not talking about Mako the Jaws of Death. Grizzly, starring Christopher George, came out this year too. Let's oh face God, it, yeah, I, I like Grizzly. One. Grizzly's a good film, but it is Jaws in the woods. Oh, there's, well, the, there's no doubt about that. Well, the the director swears up and down that it is an absolute coincidence, and he seemed really like adamant about you know the fact that it was just it's it, the because same well no the thing was characters, but it's everything he, but he based it off of the book which actually came out before jaws i'm just saying that it the i know but the thing jaws is in the woods but the thing is the book is i mean the book came out before jaws and he followed the structure of the book so it just so happens that the two the the um cuz from what i understand the book for jaws is actually different from the movie Quite a so bit. so it's really the book for grizzly is more similar to the movie jaws and it just so happens that the movie grizzly is based off of the book that is more similar to the movie Jaws. So it's just a really weird coincidence. But, uh, I, oh, Jaws is fan, or um, Grizzly's fantastic with the how uh, it, it, it was a PG movie and he murders the. <laughs> He's murders the little limbs kid. off, man. He tore the limbs off the little kid. Yeah, you would not get away with that today. And uh, it's it's a good movie. It's scary. It's uh, hits all the right notes. They shoot the freaking shark with a rocket launch, or they shoot the the, the grizzly bears. with a. Even you keep thinking. Even I shark. can't. I know. Even I'm thinking. They You're shoot making the a terrible case. I know. Well, it, it, it's like I said, it, it is what it is. You know, uh, they shoot the grizzly with a rocket launcher. Uh, I mean, the the uh, cinematography in it is beautiful. Uh, the, just the, the flying over the uh, the the forest and everything. It's it's a well done movie. And that it's, gorgeous poster. Oh, God, oh, that that poster scared the hell out of me when I was a little kid. Just the, the you know, the camper and the grizzly just towering above it. Oh, it was terrifying. On this particular case, I am going to 100 percent agree with Cecil because, uh, first of all, I don't know a ton about the making of Grizzly, but I do know a lot about the making of Jaws and the script for Jaws and the movie was in pre-production before the book was even fully released. This was a very rushed production. They they just had this instinct that this movie was going to kill. Um, it wouldn't even shock me to find out that Grizzly had been purchased and they were trying to beat that. I wouldn't even be shocked that the producers of Jaws knew that Grizzly was coming and said, oh, we got to beat this film to the punch. I think it's just a coincidence. That's all. The, what I do remember of the movie, other than the fact of, that the, you know, the infamous fall apart sequel uh, is just what you'd already mentioned that just gorgeous cinematography. And you know what? The film actually holds up. We were talking about how really I, th I consider Grizzly an exploitation film because it kind of is. You also had black exploitation still going strong in 1976. Personally, Car Wash, yeah, it's got George Carlin and a bunch of white actors in it. It's a black exploitation film. 
my, my thing with Car Wash is it's a terrible movie, but it has so many enjoyable parts and characters. It's just as a cohesive whole, the film does not work. As little scenes, I think there are brilliant scenes and plot lines in Car Wash. To me, Car Wash's biggest problem is tonal whiplash. How it goes from wacky comedy to a sexploitation film to the black man is down and the and when when Bill Duke is robbing the the gas the, the car wash at the end and whatnot and he's gonna gonna kill people because you know he sees no other way out. Car wash does kind of have a tonal whiplash to it, and I think that actually hurts the film as well, which also I think goes to the whole aspect of it's not all that well put together. They wanted to make a drama, a comedy, and a sexploitation film, and they didn't make it properly. But as scenes, I really like Car Wash. Car Wash, I think, is very funny, but uh, it is incredibly dated now. It is. It's one oh, of those the hair, mo- the music, the clothes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, now Car Wash. It's a catchy song, you know, at the Car Wash. Yeah, but it's so date. Like, you want to look at this and be like, okay, yeah, this was definitely filmed in the seventies. Uh, I watched it maybe 10 years ago, and uh, I still enjoyed it, but there was some jokes and some things that just really were dated. Unfortunately, comedies are rough. Comedies are probably the hardest thing to not last. Like, there, you have to be really, really, really good in order to have a comedy that still works years later. It's just something about them. Either the jokes get old or certain things get old. Or, uh, so it's tough. Like, sci-fi and all that, they usually can weather, uh, as long as the effects and the acting are good, uh, they'll last forever. But comedies are rough. So, while I think that it is still a good movie, it's just tr- if you were to try to show that to somebody today, they'd probably groan Well, I think Car Wash is a movie in search of an identity, which is ironic given that's kind of what the story's about. So maybe they were trying to channel that. I don't know. I would say that it was a film slapped together. It looks like a film slapped together. A good chunk of it may have even been improvised. Uh, There are so many little things. A a scene that even sticks out to me is uh, my boy Tim Thomerson's in it. And he's really good as this kind of sleazy character that comes in and hits on the girl that works at the car wash it it just comes at you from so many directions and yet i still kind of like the movie i still enjoy it george carlin is the hippie cab driver trying to catch the hooker that that stiffed him on a fair yeah and then richard pryor uh, richard pryor in one of the most shameless cameos ever i would say so in a weird sort of way for those of you familiar with the movie hollywood shuffle I almost swear Hollywood Shuffle's a sequel to Car Wash. It it feels like they're in the same universe. 1976 also brought us JD's Revenge in the black exploitation genre, which is a supernatural black exploitation film, which one that's played totally straight. I mean, you know, you had Black Yellow, which was played kind of straight, but it was goofy, and you had Blackenstein and all that kind of stuff. JD's Revenge is a supernatural possession film with Glenn Turman and Louis Gossett Jr. That's actually pretty damn good it actually is light on the black exploitation aspect and it's really just a good supernatural thriller have either of you seen jd's revenge sadly no i have not uh i've been meaning to ever since i saw the trailer on one of those uh what 40 second street forever ones <laughs> yes because i saw that and a million other movies and i'm like i have to watch all of these and it was but... it's actually a good flick but then you also had you know thrillers were in or dramas if you will now, I brought up Network earlier. I think Network is a film that deserves the title of Transcendent because Network changed everything, even if they didn't know it at the time. You look at Network in 1976, and it's almost a science fiction film. This is Petty Chayefsky basically making a science fiction parody of what he's afraid television and the news will become. Now, especially after the, 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 the Victor Flanagan shooting last year, Everything, including the ending of Network, has all happened on television now, hasn't it? Network predicted everything. It's scary how accurate uh, Network is. I mean, they they missed little tiny details. Uh, you know, the technology changed and whatnot. But, uh, I mean, they nailed reality television. They, they just got so many things right. Network is definitely a movie that still holds up because it's like looking into... Uh, hey, this is what they thought the future was going to be. And they were right. 
Well, I think you two are going to be better suited for this one. I don't remember it very well. And it's a movie I do want to revisit because, honestly, I remember not liking it. And I know that's uh, akin to blasphemy in the movie uh, world. But Sacrilege! Yeah, burn him. I saw the film and thought the first half of it was, I, I remember being very engaged and thought it was highly intelligent. And that the second half was just the dumbest thing I'd ever seen at the time. I need to go back and see this one again. But then the other big one this year was Marathon Man, Dustin Hoffman's arguable debut. I mean, you know, the movie that kind of started to put him on the road to stardom. Oh, yeah, this one I love. And see, Marathon Man, everyone knows, is it safe? And and the whole Nazi dentist scene, which is a powerful scene, I consider it kind of a run-of-the-mill, meh, spy thriller. I mean, it's not really spy, but you know what I mean. You know, a, a kind of spy thriller, crime thriller other than that one scene, I don't think there's anything in Marathon Man that, that deserves to stand out. I found it to be just a run-of-the-mill thriller with one really standout scene. Um, I remember liking it, but I haven't seen it in a very long time. Honestly, say I love Marathon Man, and I, I think that if people who love it, I, I, I think you're underselling it just a little bit. It, it has a lot to do with not so much even just unseen e- evil, but I, I can't think of the word I want to say. Just... That adage about, you know, where uh, good men have to do nothing for evil to succeed. This is, this man has gone unseen and unchallenged and basically he's part of, as we discover, there's a larger network of evil still existing. And I think the idea is that Dustin Hoffman is your everyman who, in, in a very Hitchcockian way, gets thrust into this and realizes not just how much evil is out there, just how evil is evil. It, this is dark, dark stuff. And he gets awoken to a world that he didn't even bother to think about. I think it plays into the paranoia a little bit. So I think it's a little more clever of a thriller than simply the dentist scene myself. The first Stephen King film coming out this year, Carrie, a film I did not like at all. I've never understood why everyone loves Carrie so much. I think it's a mundane, bland, meh film. But, you know, you had Carrie coming out for the horror film, and then you had Snuff coming out, you know, the fake Snuff film. The one that I think stands out as the horror film of 76 is The Town That Dreaded Sundown is all about mood and atmosphere. It's a genuinely good film. I have not seen the remake. I know Cecil's about to disagree with me. I cannot see how Blumhouse could match that tone of the 76 version well they didn't they they took the uh they took the concept and they went in a different direction with it so it wasn't uh just a flat out uh you know cheapo remake which uh, a lot of movies are uh they decided to uh, go in a different way with it so that is always my kind of litmus test it's like all right did they just do a copy paste well, then most times it's going to suck because the reason why the original is so classic to be made into a remake in the first place is because it's a great movie. You took the uh, concept of it and they played it out differently. And it's actually pretty good. Oh, the original's great. The original, uh, I had a... Um, I had a crappy copy, uh, VHS copy off of, I think, cable or something that I had watched, you know, for the longest time because it wasn't really readily available. Uh, Shout Factory, I think, released it. The VHS was actually relatively rare until the Shout Factory thing. The VHS could go for like, that was like a $30 tape on the resale market because it was Mm -hmm. a relatively rare tape. I actually got mine, no case, but I got the tape when the library was selling all theirs. I got the, my old library copy. Well, I, so I got the, uh, the the Blu-ray and I was very happy because, uh, you know, it was restored. It looked a whole lot nicer than my VHS tape. And uh, it pretty much reinforced that this is a really good movie. And uh, I had for I know we talked about this before the show. I mean, I had thought for years that it was uh, originally uh, made for TV movie that just so happened to uh, get uh, recognition. But turns out it actually did get a theatrical release. So AIP, you know. AIP released it. I think the reason because I, I was on your side thinking it was a TV movie. I think I, the reason was this was a syndication staple. UHF channel showed Town That Dreaded Sundown all the time. I think that's why we kind of associated it with it as a TV movie. Never saw the remake, but boy, are both of you about to hate me. I saw this film with a group of people, a small group, where it was only about five of us, and we laughed hysterically at how awful this movie is. We were mocking it the entire time. 
It is one of the goofiest, doofiest films of that genre I've ever seen. Uh, the scene where he kills somebody with the slide of a trombone had me in hysterics. It, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> well, now we got to talk about the movies because, you know, 1976 had a lot of great films in it. Let's look at the films that people went to see. The top grossing movies of 1976 in order are Rocky, obviously. One I've never seen or even heard of called To Fly, put out by the National Air and Space Museum. It made $86 million in 76. Never even heard of that one. A Star is Born, All the President's Men. It's a good movie. Okay. The Omen. This one struck me as what? I remember all the Sun Classic Pictures, quote, pseudo-documentaries, you know, The Outer Space Connection, In Search of Ancient Astronauts, and In Search of Noah's Ark made $55 million theatrically from Sun Classic Pictures in 76. Then you had King Kong, Silver Streak, of the Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor movies, I think it's one of the weakest. Then you had The Enforcer and Universal Studios Midway. Do you remember a time, Fred, when Sun Classic Pictures could release one of the, their goofy, weird doc quote, documentaries, and make 55 freaking million dollars theatrically? Uh, yeah, I'll do you one better. I saw it in the theater. <laughs> you, you did? You saw In Search of Noah's Ark in the theater? Yeah, I was, wow. I, uh, yeah, I was uh, taken by my uh, sister, as I recall, and I barely remember it, but I, I remember the doc. I mean, this was a time, again, this was a very different period, and if, if anybody remembers, Disney would release these nature films where all you did was, like, follow, like, a fox raising its its young in you know the different seasons and that's the whole movie it, it was a very different era of the cinema but yeah uh, I don't know to fly that one I don't know at all I would grossly I, you're I will disagree with you completely on silver streak I I think it's one of their strongest uh, I adore silver streak I think it's got a great score by Henry Mancini. It's a lot of fun, a precursor of the type of films that were going to be coming, you know, action, comedy, films like Beverly Hills Cop and that. I, I think it's a wonderful film. All the President's Men, which was a movie introduced to me in uh, journalism class, big shock. Uh, we got to watch it there. I'd never seen it before. Love it. I think it's a wonderful film that uh, everybody should see. It's it's really good. So it's an interesting list. I didn't know King Kong was so high. I, I would have never guessed King Kong, say, over Silver Streak and Enforcer and Midway. I, I didn't. I missed that Silver Streak was on that list. I love Silver Streak. See, I, I, I don't know. I've, that one never did anything for me. I'm a stir crazy man. I think if you're going Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, it's stir crazy. I've always gone Silver Streak over stir crazy. Same I, here. Same here. I adore Silver Streak, dude. It's so funny. And that's a comedy that actually is uh, still funny because uh, their chemistry is so good. And the whole mystery on the train is really good. And the ending with the train is just it's an incredibly well done movie that uh, I think a lot of people don't really realize is as good as it is. The Oscars were pretty much dominated by two films, Rocky and Network pretty much took all of the major Oscars almost ac almost across the board. Yeah, I mean, you had Rocky winning Best Picture and whatnot, but at the same time, you had Network winning almost every acting award at the same time, which was just so bizarre. You had Peter Finch, Faye Dunaway, and Beatrice Strait all winning their various, th their various awards. And then it's so funny how Peter Finch for Network was up against two of his co-stars for the same award. So of the five nominees, three were for the same movie. Network wins Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, Best Screenplay. It was it was probably the classic example a classic example of two of two films that they wanted to give the prestigious awards to and they couldn't do it so they went, you know, it looks like Rocky gets all the the elements that would create an emotional film. You know, it, it wins the best picture, the best editing, uh, whereas Network, it's got best writing and best actors. I think that they were just trying to, to split it. Well, I mean, sometimes it's just uh, there's movies that end up sweeping the Oscars. They're just that good. To summarize, 1976 in film, was it a good year or a bad year? for films i think 76 was a good year for films there was a lot of classics there was a lot of very good uh movies it may not have been quite as revolutionary as uh 75 but um it still had uh, a tremendous amount of uh, quality stuff 
I would say a very good year. Uh, it's it's got a lot of diversity, and that's what I like. I, I like different types of films. Uh, there were a couple of uh, smaller exploitation films I, we didn't even mention, but I'll say quickly: uh, Vigilante Force came out that year, and Alice, Sweet Alice. There's there's a there's something for everybody in that year. And sometimes I feel that what's missing from current Hollywood is trends dominate to the point where you don't have a lot of variety. And 76 definitely had that in spades. If if people are going to transform from 1976 to 2016, where would they contact Frederick Fritz? See, the, the locus homeless shelter is down. The, no. Uh, again, as I said last time, nowhere right now. I still do have the Facebook uh, movie apocalypse page, though. And uh, it, when I get something going again, the updates will be there at the Facebook movie apocalypse. And then Cecil, he was wrong about everything he said tonight because that's his place in life. Where can people see him being wrong on a much larger scale? I am absolutely correct, especially about Rocky. Uh, and I can't believe you don't like it, and you're an idiot. You can Boom. find. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't deny I'm an idiot, but I don't like the movie. I get, that's. It's so rare to hear somebody that doesn't like Rocky. I mean, you're you're perfectly entitled to your opinion, but I guess it's it's just I don't know. Anyway, uh, you can find me at escapistmagazine.com, uh, also on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, and yeah. And yeah. Well, and you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. And guys, keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Can't stay at home. Twelve O One Beyond Production. Visit twelve oh one beyond dot com for more great shows.